Jesus died, was risen, and is coming again. That's why we're here today. There are many misconceptions floating around about God today. Lots of inaccurate ideas, and many perpetuated by people who claim to be Christians. Joel Osteen, who pastors the largest church in America, refuses to say that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Rob Bell says the church should throw biblical truth overboard and affirm immoral cultural trends. Oprah says there isn't only one way to God and Jesus didn't come to die on the cross. All lies, no surprise. Wolves in sheep clothing, fooling people who don't know what the word of God says. But thankfully, God's word is truth. God reveals himself clearly in his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. The Bible is clear that God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sin of the world. The Bible gives many descriptions and titles for Jesus that illustrate and explain his work on the cross in the salvation of sinners. Jesus is Almighty God, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the author and perfecter of faith, the Son of God, the bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life. Today we will focus on one specific title for Jesus, Jesus the Shepherd shepherd and as you will see the bible calls jesus shepherd referring to his death his resurrection and his return so please open your bibles to john chapter 10 and please stand with me as i read god's word i'll be reading verses 10 through 18 and then verses 27 through 30 this is the word of god The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, 
I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Lord God, we pray that you would bless your word today in our lives and change us as you see fit. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our most basic spiritual need is to be saved from our sin, to be delivered, rescued from sin's power and penalty and ultimately its presence. Dealing with sin's guilt and the need that we have for forgiveness. We also need power and wisdom to live a life pleasing to God. We need a Savior and a Lord a provider and sustainer, a deliverer and leader, someone who will author our faith and perfect it, someone who will get us started on the road of faith and keep us going and take us to heaven. We need someone who loves and cares for us. We need a shepherd. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd the world needs. Jesus is the shepherd you need. In John 1.29, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And lamb, referring to the Old Testament practice and system of offering sacrifices to God again and again to atone for man's sin. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus made a once-for-all offering for sin to pay the penalty for sin. That's why he called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The book of Revelation refers to Jesus as a lamb 30 times. It's focused on his work on the cross in dying for sin. And we see that this lamb is also a shepherd. Revelation 7, verse 17 says, The lamb on the throne in their midst will also be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. A shepherd who leads and feeds and guards the flock and protects his own. He, he guides them in the good way. He, he grazes them to feed on good food. He guards them from harmful influences. What kind of shepherd is Jesus? That's our question for today. What kind of shepherd is Jesus for us? first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus is the good shepherd that died for sinners. The good shepherd that died for sinners on the cross providing the way of salvation. Verse 10 of John chapter 10 Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. 
full, eternal. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Good means honorable, excellent. Jesus laid down his perfect, sinless life, and it was God's will that it should happen. Isaiah 53, 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. In Zechariah 13, 7, we read, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. It was in the heart of God and the mind of Jesus, God incarnate. Because in Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said to his disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night the night in which he was going to the cross the next day. And he says this, for it is written, and he's quoting Zechariah 13, 7, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This is what God did. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 tell us, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, who died for lost sinners, died for his own. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Here in John 10, Jesus says in verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd doesn't own the sheep. Jesus owns the sheep. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. It's a hired hand. Cares nothing for the sheep. But he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. He's going to save Jew and Gentile alike for his church. Whoever will believe. He's a good shepherd who did what was possible to rescue us from sin. He has worked for our good. He has secured salvation. He has Drawn believers, guiding them to himself in love and mercy and grace. Bringing us to faith. That's what John 6, tells us. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. We read in 1 John chapter 4, in this was the love of God manifested among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him jesus said i've come that you might have life and that abundantly live through him and in this is love not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation the sacrifice to pay for god's wrath to give us mercy first john 4 14 says the father sent the son to be the savior of the world he's the good shepherd Jesus is the good 
shepherd that died for sin on the cross, on the tree of pain, in our place, our substitute. That's the first thing we need to see about what kind of shepherd is Jesus. He's the good shepherd that died for sin. Secondly, Jesus is also the great shepherd risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, that he, Christ, was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's very clear. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says, The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He's talking about his resurrection. He says, No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord, my own initiative. And he says, I have authority to to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. And this is what he did. Jesus is the great shepherd risen from the dead. Great, that word in Greek means, is the word megas. It means big and powerful and strong. He powers his people. If you belong to Jesus, he is empowering you. Paul said in Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Philippians 2.12 tells us to work work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. Saab says their cars are born of jets. Christians are born of Christ and fueled by him, powered by him. Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. He, Paul desired to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. As he followed Christ, he was given power to live jesus empowers his own to live he is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight leading us in his ways to feed on his word his voice and grow in christ john 10 10 again i have come that they may have life and have it abundantly abundant life resurrection life acts 2 24 says that god raised jesus up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. So he was risen in resurrection power. We are living in resurrection power in Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. What does the resurrection of Christ mean for us today? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, what does that mean for you today? Well, first what it means is that every promise he made is guaranteed you can believe it the resurrection of christ means that every promise he made is guaranteed and you can believe it if he says i i'm going to go and prepare a place for you and i'm going to come again and and receive you to myself you can believe that and the resurrection of christ means that he's alive and with us today and always you can be sure of it he is with us 
Matthew 28, 20, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus' resurrection isn't just history. When we say that Jesus is risen, we also mean he is with us today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ also means that death is defeated and you need never fear it. Hebrews 2 tells us that Jesus partook of flesh and blood that through death he might render powerless the devil and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to bondage all their lives. He has defeated the devil. He has freed the captives. 2 Timothy 1 tells us he abolished death. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus, in his resurrection, put death out of business. When you die in Christ, you go to him. That's what we say when a beloved one dies in Christ. We say, they're with Jesus. They went to Jesus. So stop fearing death. Start believing Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ also means that your life is abundant and that you are free to boldly live it. You don't have to be timid about it. No fear in death means no fear in life. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Jesus said in John 8.32, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free free to live for God's purposes freedom not independence free to trust God what's keeping you from boldly living for Jesus today your commitment to Jesus may be strong his commitment to you is stronger he is cheering you on in the work he has called you to do one more thing about the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that we have the best message ever and everyone needs to hear it. Believers are Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives. We get to represent Jesus and bring the news to those who are in desperate need. Jesus frees sin's prisoners. And if we believe that, we won't think that we can just remain silent and just be a good example and people will just get the gospel by osmosis but we will tell people the good news we will show by our life and tell in our words the good news of the gospel of the grace of god in christ jesus is the good shepherd who died he is the great shepherd risen from the dead and third Jesus is also the chief shepherd who will return. He's coming again. 1 Peter 5.4 says, When the chief shepherd appears. That word chief means preeminent. It means first. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet will sound, he will appear. The chief shepherd. 
He guards, he secures, he keeps all his own, all who belong to him. John 10, 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. There's the abundant life that Jesus promises. It's why he came. And he says, They will never perish. And he says, No one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. In Christ, you are secure. And the chief shepherd, who's coming again, is also praying for you, believers. He ever lives to make intercession for you that you would persevere. He is guarding you from the evil one so that you would not be ravaged by sin. In 1 John 2, we read, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We must run from, resist the lust of the eyes, selfish love of comfort and ease more than God and others. The lust of the flesh Sinful love of money and other things and fame more than God and others. The boastful pride of life. A shameful love of power and control rather than God and others. The people of Jesus' day went so easily from Hosanna to, to hang him. Specifically, crucify him, kill him. We go quickly from praise to pride from blessing to blasphemy. And it's interesting to me, it's actually frightening how fickle the human heart, our human hearts are. How we can turn things that God intended for His glory and our good into idols. God is good. God is patient, God is kind, and He knows we are dust. He knows we are weak. He doesn't excuse our sin. He died for our sin. I like how Tim Keller explains the wonder of the gospel. He says that in Christ we realize we are more flawed and sinful than we ever imagined. But in Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. The chief shepherd is coming for us with blessing for believers and judgment for unbelievers. The good, great chief shepherd is also called the shepherd of our souls in 1 Peter. He is the shepherd of the souls of true believers, shepherding them to blessing. 
But he's also a shepherd of the souls of unbelievers to judgment. See, good news means there's also bad news. I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation in your Bibles, the very last book. In chapter 1, you see, verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. It says in chapter 1, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Now, I want you to go to chapter 19 with me. There's four parts to chapter 19. Revelation 19. The first part are these awesome hallelujahs. Four times we get the hallelujahs. Starting at verse 1, he says, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And they're praising God for His justice. They cry out, His judgments are true and just. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. They're praising God for his justice. And it says the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying once more, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters. You ever been to Niagara Falls? I've been there. There's a roar. You can't even hear anything except the roar of the mighty waters. And he says it sounds like mighty peals of thunder crying out. Here it is for the fourth time. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. What an awesome scene of rejoicing in heaven. I think the most pure form of worship is when our hearts declare our love, our gratitude, our adoration for God in the simple yet profound words, praise God. Hallelujah. I've said that my most common exclamation at the greatness of God in Christ in saving lost sinners, besides praise God, is wow. Wow that God would do that for me. Wow that He loves me so much. But focus in on that phrase, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's a transliteration of two Hebrew words. The first is halal, praise. The second is yah, God, praise God. You see it in Psalm 150, verse 1. Praise God. Four times in the New Testament we see hallelujah, all here in this chapter. 
this this transliteration of two Hebrew words hallelujah it means praise God from him the Bible says comes our praise the only way we're able to praise God is because he gives us the ability to do so God made us to praise him we are to live for his glory and honor it's why we exist but we often live for our own puny glory and honor we are so shallow today can be the day that you resolve you decide that you aspire to praise God a little bit more as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4.15 that the grace that is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God if everybody praised God more today he would be praised more today and that practice would grow in our hearts in our minds, in our lives in the midst of, of good times and bad to such an extent that we would, be, uh, we would be characterized by hallelujah. We would be characterized by praise God. I think it is a, a foretaste of heaven, a, an hors d'oeuvre, a sample of heaven when we praise God. When Jesus was about to go back up to the Father, after he had risen from the dead and appeared to many people, he came to the place that told his disciples to meet him. And it says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. They, they praised him. But it also says that some doubted. And so he reassured them. Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. We're going to have a few baptisms today. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Like, like Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. They hear my word, and they do what it says in my strength. It says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our shepherd. Praise him. Praise him follow there's a second part of revelation 19 verse 6 it picks it up the marriage supper of the lamb and all believers will be guests of honor at this marriage supper verse 7 says let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure we read that the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints believers the angel says right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb do you know when you get invited to a wedding and you're so excited you know how you feel kind of bad when you don't get the invite and then sometimes you'll get the mercy invite. I know how that works. But it says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the best 
banquet ever. This is the, this is the pinnacle. This is eternal life. This is, they will never perish. And there's a third part to Revelation 19. A rider on a white horse. Now it's getting interesting. Who is it? Well, let's see. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So the rider on the white horse has a name that's written that no one knows but him. That's awesome. We don't know what it is. You know why we don't know what it is? Because only he knows what it is. And he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. The battle hymn of the Republic. I think that's where they got this. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This rider on the white horse, this is our good, great chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, dead, risen, and coming again. There's a fourth part of Revelation 19. Another supper. Another dinner. The great supper of God. Revelation 19, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God. So this is kind of weird. The invitees are birds. Why? To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And the beasts, the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army gathered to make war against Jesus. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in the presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest... were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And then the last words of this chapter. 
and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It's pretty clear, isn't it? There are going to be two suppers, two feasts, and you're only going to be at one of them. First one is for believers praising God. You will feast on Christ, His goodness, His mercy, His love, His grace. The second one for unbelievers, your food for birds. Sobering thought. The contrast, the gulf, the chasm between believers and unbelievers is obvious especially at Christmas and Easter, I think more than any other time. And it's easy in our culture to try to appease everyone and make everyone feel comfortable and not to offend anyone. The cross is offensive to religious man's pride. Being identified as a sinner apart from God is offensive to the spiritually dead and the morally self-righteous. The humbly gladly admit their need for Jesus. Now, we could do a bait and switch and get people in the door and hooked relationally and then tell them the truth at some later date. Or we could be as loving as possible and be relationally kind and welcoming and tell you the gospel truth up front. It does you no good to make you feel good about your spiritual condition when you're dead and lost. Better to tell people to repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And you don't have to clean up your life. Jesus does that. You need to want to be free from your sin and saved by Jesus. Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, but you do not yet believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Blessed assurance. Some people say that Christianity is narrow and limiting and discriminating and selective and that only true believers go to heaven. Yes, absolutely. Jesus is very clear about this. The way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you do not now believe, I hope that God is making you aware now of your sinfulness. Poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, broken, mourning over your sin, knowing your true condition and going to the only Savior. No one is excluded except those who exclude themselves. Jesus said in John 6, 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And look, I realize the gospel assaults your pride and greatly offends the unbelieving. The same thing happened to Jesus when he said what he said in John 10. 
When he says, I'm the good shepherd laying down my life for the sheep, they say, he has a demon. He's insane. Don't listen to him. He says, we're not going to, they said, we're not going to stone you for doing a good work. We're stoning you for blasphemy because you being a man made yourself out to be God. They were seeking to arrest him. The gospel assaulted their pride. It assaults your pride. But when God unlocks your heart to believe the truth, you will believe. John 3, 16, whosoever will believe. And sometimes we don't like to think about spiritual things. But in the most serious moments, maybe at a funeral, maybe when our head hits the pillow, we think about what really matters. We think about life and what might happen when we die. And It doesn't take very long for us to realize we need those two things. Our sin taken care of and someone to lead us and guide us in life. We need to be saved and led and assured by the only shepherd, Jesus Christ. There are many religious systems and many irreligious systems that promise things they can't deliver. The Bible is the only reliable source of truth. It says all people are like grass and their glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Where do you think your current home is going to be in a thousand years? Or all your money and all your possessions? It's so easy to see this world is falling apart and deteriorating. But God's word lasts and it always tells you the truth and it never leads you astray. And it says Jesus is the good great chief shepherd your only hope Lord God we thank you that we could have Jesus as our shepherd we know your word says that we're dead in our transgressions and sins and that you you make us alive spiritually when we come to faith in you we know it's based on nothing we do we know it's based completely on trusting in what Jesus has done at the cross and Lord, I pray that we, we would believe in you, being held fast and securing Christ, because other than Christ, we have nothing to hold on to, nothing to hold us up. Thank you that in Christ, nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you that our sins are forgiven, that the charges against us have been nailed to the cross, that the blood of Jesus has washed us from all sin, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for adopting believers into your family, that our names are written in the book of life, and that we are indwelt by your Spirit to be used for your purposes. I pray, Lord, that all who hear these words would come to faith in Christ, the good, great, chief shepherd. We pray in his name. Amen.